Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast. The podcast that wonders, is it normal for the typewriter to be moaning like this? This week's story is Subterranean Robot Slaycation by Brett Norwood. got our first one star rating matt i guess the creepy porn guy figured out we're not porn i was uh, expecting a monstrous fappening but uh, but instead i got story time with you two but seriously thanks to everybody for the five star reviews remember the more reviews we get the more bonus content we will put out for every 25 new reviews we'll launch a full-length bonus episode also we've got a few new t-shirts in the store at teespring.com slash stores slash monster porn so check those out. We'll be releasing more soon. And that's all I've got. Enjoy the show. Matt, did you know that the ancient Egyptians and Babylonians alike had a sacred board game? No. Brett, did you know that normal people talk about normal things in casual conversations? In their mystical texts, they portrayed the game as a metaphor for the predestination of man and for the favor of fate. Take the Egyptian game, Senate, for example. In the Book of the Dead, the deceased is pictured playing Senate in the afterlife. It's a metaphor for going wherever the wind will take him and finding his way through the labyrinthine realm of night and snakes. Look here in the Book of the Dead. Here's the illumination of the deceased playing Senate. Brett, that's, uh, <laughs> that's Rock'em Sock'em Robots. That's right. The Egyptians invented that game. Uh, really? Ten thousand times true. Holy shit, Brett. I just remembered something. What's that? You're still dead. Yep, a minor inconvenience. Thanks again for the funeral. But this is exactly why I'm studying the Egyptian funerary texts. I'm trying to figure out how to get out of it. Out of death? Yes, Matt. I'm not sure that it works that way. I mean, when you're gone, you're gone. You do realize you're talking to a ghost, right? Hmm. Good point. As long as the ghost blood flows through my ghost veins, I've still got a shot, Matt. Hey, speaking of ghost blood, did you hear about that nutter's chick in the UK who claims to have relationships with ghosts and to even be preggers by one? Isn't that nuts? And and why is the ghost blood rushing to your ghost face? A lady doesn't tell. You are not a lady. I know, so I'll tell. I pulled her geist. But don't congratulate me yet. It turns out the kid wasn't mine. Didn't even have a ghost father. How do you know? The kid was born alive. South of Ashton, Idaho, on that straight, soul-killing stretch of highway that comprised the last two hours of our six-hour journey, I would have long since forgotten about the scene in the kitchen when Poe had told me we were going to visit her family over the summer break, but Poe had not. Unprepared to hear this news, 
I didn't hide my grimace, and that grimace had continued to color not only the first four hours of the trip so far, but also the three intervening weeks. Poe scowled at the scenery, which she hated more than I, the black volcanic rocks, the endless potato fields and small towns with farm implement lots, the dead-colored sky and the Tetons retreating quietly in the east. And she dug spitefully through her crinkly bag of spicy hot Cheetos from the Ashton gas station slash diner. I used to enjoy traveling. Now that it was out of my control, I guess, it felt like a chore and an obstacle to my work, which I also hated. But I'd rather just keep my head down and get that shit done, not take a two-week detour just to sit and visit with some random people who came in a parcel deal with Poe, whom I didn't doubt she loved, but even she didn't like. I was doing it for her. Didn't she recognize that? The work, but also now this trip. Yet all I got was resentment. I was an obstacle, an anchor, someone getting dragged along against his will. Can I change the song? she asked. I don't know why we were listening to the music on my phone when there was apparently nothing on it she didn't hate. Yep, I said. It didn't matter that the song felt like my fucking jam at that moment, and was exactly what I needed to hear. Her question hadn't been a question. She was changing the song. I was just thankful I didn't have any T-Swift on my phone. She stopped the song and asked, Can I put on Taylor Swift? I don't have any, I told her, flat as a fact, and not looking at her. I brought the CD. I took a breath. Yep, I said again, still not taking my eyes off the interminable highway. I started daydreaming about work. Not really because I wanted to, but because a client had a complaint and I needed to fucking solve it, and I wouldn't be in a good position to solve it now for two weeks. And the lack of resolution was driving me crazy. Did you feel that? She asked me after a while. What? I said, gladly turning down the music. Did you feel that? She repeated, now looking at me through lowered, unimpressed eyelids either due to making her repeat herself, or messing with her jam, or both. Feel what? I asked, glancing her over in her sweatpants and the hoodie that used to be mine. She didn't even try to appeal to me most of the time anymore. I mean, the sweats were fine. They were contextualized by her expression, which was dead as a rock, and her voice, which no longer had any sweetness but sounded like a man half the time. Was that an earthquake? she asked. I didn't feel anything, I told her. There may have been something, but I had been in the la-la land of my work-related nightmare reverie. I hoped that something was not wrong with the forerunner. I had just paid $800 for front-end work, and the tires were only a year old. Look out! she screamed. I was glancing at her, and somehow I missed the fucking sinkhole opening up in the road. And that is how we started going down. I believe that I screamed simply, Shit! Hole! 
and then said nothing while Poe continued the freakout for the both of us. I was concentrating on the fact that I was somehow still driving. We were cruising down a steep grade of dirt and igneous rock that glowed with the sun cutting through the new gash in the earth above. The forerunner bounced and skidded and slid, but I kept the tires pointed generally downhill and that's what saved us. There was no stopping, not without losing control, until I could find something approximating level ground. And there was none of that to be found. Eventually, Poe ran out of screams. Her animalistic panic became subdued by the tedious fact that we hadn't died yet, into a sort of terrified yet droll amusement at that fact. She stared wide-eyed at the Chthonian Road, gripping the console and Jesus bar for life. Just when we were beginning to take for granted the fact that we were still alive, I couldn't see the ground anymore. I realized about the time that Poe started to scream again, that that was because there was no ground anymore. We shot into the black with nothing beneath us, and a new ground emerged from below, glowing dull red. But something else was coming through the darkness and caught us, like, deliberately caught us. I mean, it was knocking futs, but it looked like an enormous hand that came out of nowhere. We landed squarely in its palm, and then we found ourselves carried through the air, right into a giant metallic cheek right below a glowing yellow eyeball, as the orange ring of a pupil tracked us. The airbags deployed, we flailed around like dolls, and then it was black for a while, or at least I was blacked out for a while. Honey, uh, honey, I sputtered. Are you okay? I dug through the airbag to try to find her. I grabbed a hold of my hoodie and pulled. I found we were both seatbelted in, and I turned to undo my strap. Oh, fuck my ass, she mumbled, and she started to cry. Hold on, don't move, I'm coming, I told her. I opened my door and spilled out onto the ground like a turd delivered between two puffy butt cheeks of the airbag in the seat. I caught myself and fought under my feet and hurried around the car. It, it smelled like rotten eggs, and there was a sound like a loud river in between clatters of rocks. Fortunately, her door still opened as well. All the damage of the wreck had been to the front end. Are you hurt? I asked. She whined and I didn't get a clear answer. What hurts? I tried again. It was dawning on me at the same time that I must have knocked my elbow. My neck also wasn't right. I don't know, she said slowly. Can you move? I helped Poe out of the car. She stood on shaky legs while I held her arm. Where are we? She said softly. No fucking idea, hun, I said. Are you sure you're okay? No, she said. Oh, my head hurts. All right, take it easy, I said. Let me see if I have reception. I felt my pocket and found my phone was not on me, but somewhere in the car, and who knew where that was after what happened? It had been on the console, tapped into the stereo until Poe unplugged it for Taylor. Do you have your phone? I asked her. She brought out her phone and tried to keep her hand steady enough to read the screen. No bars. Oh my god, she said. The ground, I gazed up stupidly. Up there. Is blocking the reception, I bet. Where the fuck are we, Damien? She asked again. Down in a hole, I said. 
Is the earth still shaking? She wondered, glancing around. Oh my god, Damien. It's going to all come down on us. I didn't say anything, but tried to study what was up above us. It was too dark to tell exactly. Then came a quake I definitely perceived, strong and only a few seconds long, accompanied also by a crash, and some stones rolled down from the way we had come. Yeah, we're gonna die, I said. Oh my god, Damien! Poke cried, and she started freaking out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, I, I shouldn't be so flip about the fact that we're going to fucking die. Then I remembered some of the detail of how we got where we were, and I asked her, Wait, did you see what we hit on the way down? I watched her eyes. They were wide and shifty. She did see it. I went on, It looked like... She cut me off with a scream and a dramatic pointing pose like in a 50s B-movie when the woman spots the invading UFO or the bug monster above the city. That! She cried. I turned, and there, in fact, was the hand-like object we'd crashed into. Attached to it, lumbering through the darkness of the nearby gulf at the edge of our rock shelf, arose a roughly fifty-foot figure. Another figure, thrust out of the black, bathed in a red glow, to grapple the first. They were... robots. Giant fucking robots, looking like they were forged in an early twentieth-century factory both design cues from that pinhead guy from Hellraiser. The first sported thick limbs on a barrel chest. He was primarily orange and studded with bolts and spikes. The other was the one with the yellow light-up eyes, whose face we had momentarily adorned. He was blue and silver, more lithe, faster, and had a crown-like decoration on his helmet with two antenna-like spires. On his chest there was a big red spiral. His knuckles sported wolverine claws. He wore a belt of strung-together robot heads with cables flopping out of the neck holes. I pulled Poe back toward the near cliff face for cover, where we cowered and watched the two behemoths fight. Boxing, grappling, clawing, tearing. Look at that! Poe exclaimed over the ruckus, pointing again. There was a little star-like light hovering in the distance. After a while, we noticed another, and another. In all, about a dozen would become apparent, softly glowing like fluorescent lights in a fog. In time, one of them, I think it was that first one we had spotted, which was the closest, hovered slowly near enough to us that we could make out something of it. Inside an oval of light, there were people. There were people watching the fight. The first robot snatched up some magma from below and smeared it on the other's face, which cooled and hardened partially obscuring one yellow eye as his mouth hung stupidly open, as if in a silent scream. We're in hell, I told Poe. We're in actual fucking hell. And it's fucking awesome. She hit me and reminded me that we were going to die. I agreed that it was probably true. We saw other things, too. Bat-like things. Demons, maybe. Monsters, certainly. Flying around in the heights through the fight. Occasionally they would swoop and attack the robots, a nuisance not unlike mosquitoes to them, and then the robots would have to swat at them without losing focus on his opponent. The green drool from the bats appeared to corrode them instantly, wherever the bat demons left it smeared. Eventually that nearest luminescent craft drew over us and we could better see the people inside, and that they weren't, uh, people. They were tall, skinny, bald, and robed. 
They had very bright skin and Buddha faces with big shining eyes and a moon-shaped design on their foreheads that was shiny blue. They reminded me of angels, but I'm pretty sure they were aliens. It was cool to see them until I saw that one of them saw us. They never spoke to us as they led us through the dark cities below, among the magma and shadow. The great rushing sound I had heard from up above turned out to be the lava coursing through and around the sulfur-crusted streets. These, uh, angelians never touched the ground or anything so far as we saw, but floated in personal or shared orbs of light. The cities themselves were peopled with anthropomorphic bats, different from the demon pests from the game, and who spoke something like Japanese. These purple-furred, fox-eared men did the work we understood, including the maintenance and training of the gladiators. In a slum outside of the arena, which was massive and took up much of the basin, the guy from the mechanic shop showed us a lineup of gladiators, one of which was the blue one we had seen. There were about five others. My favorite was the one that looked like a puma, but whose lower body was a singular giant orb wheel. Then there was the Cyclops. That was pretty rad, too. I couldn't tell at all what the Japanese bat guy was on about until he leaned in and kissed me on the forehead. Then he started talking English. The gist of what he told us was that they put on these games to entertain those aloof Angelians. There was another fight that night, and Poe and I watched from the stadium seating with the bat people, who were as into this shit as Spanish people are into a soccer match. The fight was between a robot that looked like Buddha, or Joe Rogan, with three eyes and another robot. That was a two-headed golden dragon with scissors for tongues. It was a good match from what I gathered, and certainly nuts to watch. In the fifth round, the Hydra got Rogan Satfa's third eye and his scissors, but Rogan Satfa got his fingers into the throat of the right head and tore out a windpipe, and he beat him with it until his head was unconscious and then he wrapped the windpipe around the other throat and choked the other head out. The bat people went knocking futs, man. There were riots in the street. It was insane. We thought it was great, or I did anyway. Post stopped responding to me at all at some point during the day, and I assumed it was just shock. I thought it was all great until after the match we ended up on a couple of operating tables. But uh, to backtrack a bit, After the match, our bat host, Miguel, that's what it sounded like anyway, led us to a room where we could stay. There was a bedstand and some kerosene lamps and a strange book on the bedstand. There were two boxes not unlike coffins that were set up with some cozy-looking bedding. Miguel left us alone there. I turned to Poe, who had her arms crossed by the window, overlooking the shadow-couched Sulphur City. Are you okay? I asked her. She only glanced at me, a fleeting scowl. Oh, I'm fine, she said. Uh, good, I said. Wait, is that sarcasm? I don't think you're fine. You haven't talked all afternoon. We're in fucking hell, she said. And then she winced and grabbed her head. And my head hurts and I feel icky and I hurt all over from the crash. Of course I'm not fine! My parents are probably wondering where the hell we are, pun intended, and wondering if we're dead. But did you see him choke the other one out with his own throat? She threw her hands up. 
And technically, that's not a pun, I said. Really? She smoldered, turning to face me. She looked like an angry weasel. It was kind of hot. And I hadn't felt that way about her in a long time. How are we going to get out of here, Damien? I shrugged. We must be a mile below the surface, and all we have at our disposal is a wrecked car, so I don't know. I don't think Triple A will make it down here. That's not funny, she shouted. Can you be serious for two seconds? Just two? Oh my god! I don't know, hon. I'll ask Miguel tomorrow. Maybe they can do something for us. I mean, they have wings, they can fly, and the tall whiteys fly around in those glowy things. There's a way out of here, I'm sure. We just need to ask around. I want out of here now, she growled, pointing at the floor. There's not really anything I can do for you right now, I told her. She winced and grabbed her head again. She sat on the edge of her coffin and held her head and began to sob. Don't worry, hon. We'll get out of here, I assured her. I don't want to let my parents down, she sobbed. What? I don't want to let down my parents, she sobbed even more lightly. I just want to see my family. They're expecting us tonight. I've been looking forward to this all month while you've been groaning and making me feel bad about wanting to see them. I just want to see my family. That's what you're worried about right now? I marveled. She screamed at me. There weren't any English words in it. Uh, and then she went red in the face. She passed out and fell into her coffin bed. So that's how I ended up wandering the streets, carrying Poe and crying for someone to help. And that's how one of the Angelians floated by in his orb and saw us and took us to the base. The base perched on a ledge by itself some distance from the Bat City, and unmistakably resembled the Sydney Opera House, stark white and shaped like a napping Sonic the Hedgehog. Inside a glass room we met with one of the purple Batmen, the only one that I saw in the base and they floated Poe on some white light over to the operating table. After the bat doctor kissed me on the forehead, he was able to inform me, pointing at his own head, that Poe had brain bleeding. They began operating immediately while I watched from behind a glass wall. The doctor selected a handsaw from the table and began sawing Poe's cranium open. I pounded on the glass. The bat and alien glanced at me intermittently as they worked, but it wasn't until the Batman was cradling Poe's disconnected brain in his hands that they both looked at me thoughtfully and shrugged, and that's how I also ended up on an operating table. When I came to, it was somewhere like a dungeon. Body parts were on the walls, robot parts, spare hands, claws, clubs, helmets, spikes, flails, many things. Miguel was flying in front of my face, and I wondered at how small he was. Good, you are booted up proper, he said. Systems nomino. Amygdala readout is purple. Can you wiggle your toes? I wiggled my toes. Good. Can you wiggle your ears? He looked at me, smirking. That is joke. You do not have ears. He laughed heartily. Good. Time to go. You know what to do. Stand up now. Stand! I clambered to my feet. I felt a little drunk. A metallic door slid aside in front of me, exposing dull red light and a lava-riddled field. There was a lot of clamor. Miguel flew around my shoulder and slapped me on the back. Go get a tiger! 
I stumbled out into the arena, and I saw the crowds of bat people in the stands and the orbs of light hovering at some distance above me. I held up my hands and examined them. They were big and brass and spiky. The crowd went wild. From the other end of the arena, my opponent emerged into sight. My opponent was purple and white and built to homage a hideous Mesoamerican god full of jagged geometric shapes and grimacing bloodthirstily with a dangling tongue. She also had boobs, and the boobs were fitted with chromed spikes. Poe? I wondered. It didn't make a sound when I spoke, but still the words seemed to resound. Is that you? Here's a hint, I heard, and she punched me in the head with her studded knuckles hard enough to send me to one knee. I noted that I no longer felt bodily pain and looked up at Poe. She kneed me in the jaw and I felt the hinges on the left side fail, but it didn't hurt. I looked at Poe again and smiled. I punched her in the throat and tripped her. She went backwards into the rock with a loud crash of steel. She hit hard, and I imagined I heard an oof as the wind was knocked out of her. As I got up and positioned myself over her, and was about to offer my hand to help her up, she kangaroo kicked me square in the chest and it was my turn to go over backward. I came down near a lava flow, and she got on me and forced the side of my face into it. I screamed, but not because it hurt, just because I didn't want to. I started punching her in the head with alternating fists. She grimaced harder. Actual fire sparked from her eyes. Then she slammed her titty spikes into my head. The match was a great romp. Poe ended up trouncing me solidly. I had to have half of my face replaced, plus my whole jaw. She only had some scuffs on her to buff out, and some dents in her helmet. We fought several matches, against each other and against other bots, and we became something of fan favorites. I think Poe really got into it, honestly. She did better than I did in the rankings, and I wasn't last by any stretch. After a while, Miguel and Poe's manager, Van Buren, decided to put us on a team match together. We'd square off against an opponent called something like Olololi. We had to travel for the Ololola match. On the train, when we were getting close, I looked out the window and was watching the rolling red mounds of torment as they passed. And I saw, afar, behind the hills, something like a titanic toddler with a really big head crusted all over his body in igneous rock. He appeared to be sleeping. I asked Miguel about it. Oh, that is sleeping titan Jimmy he explained. As long as he sleeps, he dreams the magnetic field that keeps the planet functioning. The day he wakes up will be the end for all of us. I'll praise the Octofather. He just shrugged this fact off. Did you say Jimmy? I asked. Jimmy, he repeated. Jimmy. How do you uh, spell that? Oh, you spell it Cobra? Double flowering reed. Owl flowering reed. Jimmy. Aha, I said. Jimmy loomed over and behind the great stadium like Mount Fuji, while Poe and I waited our foe. This stadium was twice the size of the one we'd fought in before, and the city erected around it much larger, with multi-story skyscrapers, well, I guess they'd be ground scrapers, and a greater Angelian presence in the form of a floating island of light above the slums. The crowd was endless and loud. There was an ocean of sound. I clunked knuckles with Poe. Let's do this, she said. Get psyched. I jumped up and down in place to get worked up. Some trumpets began bleeding the fanfare. It sounded like a bunch of tin goats getting kicked in the gut. 
Ready? I asked. Ready, Freddy, she answered, slamming her fists together. Olololi, our adversary, emerged from the far end of the arena at a run, like a loosed steer. Olololi was twice our size and looked like a lumberjack, except he had the head of a bull. His main weapon was an axe. When we met him midfield, his axe came down, missing either of us, but planting in the rock between us. As we came in to strike, we realized this was not an error. Olololi used his axe to vault over our heads as we practically ran into each other. He landed soundly behind us, pivoted, and swatted both of us at once with the side of his axe so that we went flying. It was a bad start, but at least he decided to toy with us by batting us around for us rather than getting right to the good swipe with the blade of the axe. As we recovered from the tangled heap we had made, he was already marching at us, first dragging his axe at his heel, and then pulling it up and spinning it in his hands, glaring at us beneath his eyebrows of steel beams set with grommets. Poe flew into a berserker rage. I've never seen a frenzy like it. She ran at him, grabbed the handle of his axe, and used it to vault up and plant a double-footed kick in his face before immediately transitioning to biting his head while he slapped at her. I tried to catch up. I tackled Olololi at shin level, trying to destabilize him while Poe had him distracted. Initially, I got him to stumble, but he didn't fall. And he recovered his footing more securely, so I started tearing at the hydraulic pistons in the back of his knees. He kicked and sent me flying into a pool of lava, and shortly had Poe off his head and flying after me. She smacked down on top of me, totally submerging me in the magma. I came up trying to get the liquid rock out of my eyes before it could harden. How are your systems, babe? I asked her. I'm fine, she said. She wasn't fine. Without any concern for me, she was already pulling herself out of the pool, spitting half-hardened lava chunks from her mouth and wiping her breast spikes clean with her hands. She was running before I could get myself out. I cried after her, Oh, babe, wait! When I caught up, she was clawing at him like a cat, having gotten in close and climbed up his side where his axe couldn't get her. And she was swearing like a sailor about this apparently dick-smoking lumberjack. He was the son of a Mexicali whore and a transvestite lamppost. That's when Olololi punched her good. He punched right through her, right through her midriff, sending actuators and cogs and motors and spatters of lubricant flying. She landed at my feet and Olololi stomped towards us, playing up the drama for the crowd. I knelt and held Poe. We have to work together, I said. I'm done, she said. Look at me. No, I said, we got this. I put her on like a skirt. That hole through the middle of her fit about perfectly around the narrow of my waist, such that I now had another torso facing forward on my abdomen, with another set of arms and some legs flailing behind as we charged Olololi. About this time, little men started raining from the ground above, like webworms lowering on their lines. They were little men in black, and as they hit the ground, they started firing their automatic weapons at all of us. Apache helicopters buzzed about. It became a four-way free-for-all. Olololi versus us versus special operations versus a flock of those acidic bat parasites, one of which I shoved into Olololi's gaping mouth, corroding the bottom of his jaw out with acid while an Apache-mounted minigun pelted me in the back of my head, and Poe shoved another Apache into Olololi's craw as men poured out of it. The bats also started eating the special operations team, which took their attention off of us a bit and was nice. But they did launch a net at us, and at one point, that got us pretty tangled. Through it all, Poe and I established a dynamic. 
moving like a single organism through the rumble. I had a stable stance, and I could think more about where I was going and how I was dodging, while she was free to be concerned only with what she was doing with her hands. We had each other's backs. Except she didn't have a back, because I was wearing her where her back would be. A special forces team of a few men landed on her butt, which I couldn't reach, and they started cutting with a torch. Pretty soon, she had a few soldiers in her butt, doing God knows what. They got me too, in the lower back, and pretty soon, whatever they did, we blacked out. We woke up in a facility somewhere around Atomic City. We never found out how they recovered our bodies, but we were thankful for that. Out in the parking lot, back under the Idaho sun, Poe and I turned to face each other as a drone flew overhead. That was the best fucking trip ever, I told Poe. Shit, I said, grabbing her and kissing her on the head. I love you. I love you too, she said wrapping her arms around me. It had been a long time since I'd seen her smile like this. She pulled back, beaming. We should break up, I said. Oh, totally, I agree, she said. Do you feel spiritually enlightened yet? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just knock your fucking guy's head off, motherfucker! Eat it. The key is to maintain zen-like detachment through the chaos of the jabs and the feints. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Again, your ass is mine, bitch. My sovereign ass asserts its autonomy. Thank you. The key to overcoming the struggles of the realm of the dead is to control emotional investment so that you emerge from the fight, win or lose, unattached to the robot body with no desire to incarnate and fight again. Put your head back on, bitch. Best three out of five. No. It's time that I moved on. Come, Matt. Eh, sore loser. Where are we going? Well, if I'm reading this book right, we must get a boat and sail it into the sun. Hold on. I've got to go ask my wife. Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warped Box Media. Today's story was Subterranean Robot Slaycation by me, Brett Norwood. The concept of which I am developing into a couples therapy retreat. Ask your therapist whether the Subterranean Robot Slaycation might be right for you and your dour ball of resentment.
Good day, Monster Baiters. Brett here. If you enjoyed this episode of Monster Porn, first, you have exceptional taste. And second, please review Monster Porn on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app. Annie's Smile on Apple Podcasts says, Always a smile. This podcast might have its naughty moments, but somehow it always makes me laugh and puts a smile on my face. I love the voice acting that Brett and Matt do. Keep it up. Thank you, Annie Smile. Me, 20017089, says, Thought it was lame at first. Then I binged every episode. LOL. Thank you, me, 20017089675309. And thanks to everyone who has left us an awesome review. We appreciate it. It keeps this show going. Follow us on social media to keep up with our favorite little Lovecraftian abomination, Normal, and to find discount codes for our shirts. We're unveiling new designs this month, so there are more coming soon. Find them at teespring.com stores slash monster porn. That's it. Stay weird, monster baiters, and until the shark angels come, dog speed sound cringe boy. I don't feel like I did that right. And find discount codes for our, for our, for our fucking shirts. That's the word, Brett. Shirts. Me, 20017089867530986753. Sorry. In their mystical texts, I burped internally. <laughs> I'm still laughing about shitting my pants. <laughs> the dead colored sky and the Tetons. Tetons? I caught myself in f- fuck. In time, one, I think the, 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 the. She threw her heads up. Her heads up. God damn it.